Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive of rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, a venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night. FOMO Sapiens 24-7, and we are continuing on with the Bold Thinkers. I expanded Bold Thinkers Month into Bold Thinkers six weeks because I just kept finding more, and I wanted to share them with you. And our topic today is a really relevant one because it is summer. We're going to the beach, and of course, that's the kind of time when you start thinking, like, maybe I should eat a little healthier. Maybe I should be a little more thoughtful about my sort of level of fitness. And my guest today is an expert in how to stick with the decision to change our habits in diet or exercise. Her name is Michelle Seeger, PhD, and she's the author of the new book, The Joy Choice. Now, Michelle is an NIH-funded sustainable behavior change researcher at the University of Michigan, and she is also a lifestyle coach. For nearly three decades, she has pioneered methods to create sustainable, healthy behavior change that are being used to boost patient health, employee well-being, and gym membership retention. All the gyms got to be loving Michelle right now. As a psychologist who aims to contribute towards societal-level change, she was honored to be named the inaugural chair of the U.S. National Physical Activity Plans Communication Committee. She's also been an advisor to the Department of Health and Human Services and a speaker for the WHO. She has done it all, and she's going to tell us how we can make these changes. Now, today, you're going to learn about these concepts, the concepts of the habiters and the unhabiters, the people who are disciplined and can actually form habits easily, and those who, like many of us, cannot. We're also going to learn about how you can make better diet and exercise choices, no matter how disciplined you are or are not, if you're a habiter or an unhabiter. And we're going to talk about what Michelle calls the four decision disruptors, what gets in the way of sticking to our decisions. Now, as always, I have a small ask for you, and this is an easy one. If you haven't gone and checked it out yet, go to FOMOSapiens.com. Check out the shop. Hats, sweatshirts, stickers, all kinds of good stuff. I've been wearing my FOMO Sapiens apparel around. And what's crazy is people see me wearing it. They say, where do I get that? And then I see they have purchased something. So 
these products are fresh. If you have any feedback, or you're like, you know what, Patrick, I want this or that added to the mix. Let me know. You can get me on email at letsconnectpatrickmcginnis.com. All right. And now on to the interview. So as you know, I like to start every conversation the same way. So I asked Michelle this question. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? So I love that question. And it, you know, it takes me to a fork in the road at, at the very beginning of my um, master's degree in kinesiology, where I was, I thought I was going to be working um, on a, one topic and with a certain person. And I took a class and I found myself drawn to a different person in a different lab. And I had to decide you know, would I stay on the path that was paying me uh, a regular stipend, um, but that I didn't, wasn't as excited about, or would I leave that path and go work with this other person and in a lab focus on other things that really excited me? And I made the hard decision to shift paths. And if I, that is absolutely why I'm doing what I, what I'm doing today. I love that you talked about something that happened to you in your educational kind of journey, because it's, we forget that when you're in college and you've decided to study a certain path, then switching to something else can feel really daunting and scary. And so I just love, I remember I had the same thing when I was in college and I didn't want to do it. And I called home and my mom said like, you have your whole life in front of you. If you want to change, change course. So that is a valuable way to start off this conversation. Now, Michelle, your new book, The Joy Choice, is about a topic that a lot of us struggle with. It's a topic that I myself in the past have struggled with, and that is weight loss and exercise. So I didn't tell you this yet, but when I was in high school, I lost 50 pounds, okay? So I was a, you know, somebody who didn't exercise and I made all these changes and it really changed my life and set me out in a, in a path where now, you know, I, I, I exercise and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's important to me. It's something I think about. I want to just to get started because we're going to get into all of these ways that we can have a better relationship with weight loss exercise and the decision-making around it. But you know, why did you choose this topic? So gosh, now that's a really complicated answer. Um, but I will say that I have to say one thing first so I don't forget to say it because it's really important um, that your experience with losing weight, um, even though it was in high school, um, is drastically different than the vast majority of people who try to lose weight. And I think it's that is fundamentally important for people to understand because that is an important part of all of my research and one of the important parts of the new book is that when people adopt behaviors in sustainable ways like healthy eating and regular physical activity, most people, the research and years, decades of experience suggest that having weight loss as the primary reason why or goal for healthier eating and, and regular exercise will actually contaminate people's motivation and get people to, to start mm. and stop, but not sustain. So I wanna say that first and foremost, because I, I not enough people talk about that. And there's so many reasons why weight loss for most people, not for everyone, not for you, but for 
many to most people, it cannot be an effective yeah. sustainable Well, I would also motivator. say that, you know, it's easier to do it in some parts of your life than others, right? So, so you know, in high school, like, that's kind of all I had to do, right? Yes. So, so and I, I know we're going to get into that, but that is so important. You know, it is an, it's a, it's an ongoing battle. Like you, 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 it's not like you lose the weight and then it's like, well, that's done. Right. Like, you know, check it's an ongoing thing and you manage to change your strategies as life goes on. Uh, so yeah, so that makes tons of sense. And if you don't have a positive life, I call it an ally. If you don't feel like healthy eating and regular exercise is like an ally for you, it's actually more of a frenemy, then people won't stick with it. And 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 that's kind of the highest level reason why weight loss kind of taints these the people's relationship with these behaviors that are absolutely crucial for sustaining any weight that's lost. But, you know, we probably don't, that's, that's a whole, we could have a whole conversation just about that. And, um, you know, you asked why I got into it. And basically I have always been deeply, deeply interested in why, what motivates people and because of my own experience of being very empowered from regular physical activity from the time that I was a teenager and I knew how it helped me and how I, how I felt about myself, how um, it, it just was an ally for me that I decided I wanted, you know, I've wanted to help people learn how to transform the relationships with eating and exercise. That's the first part so that then they can develop effective, sustainable strategies. And that's the second part, right? So we've got our relationship and our motivation, but then we have to have the right type of strategies that can work within the context of our real lives. Not ideal yeah. lives, real <laughs> it's lives. And it's true. I mean, everybody who's listening to this, it's like nobody, I mean, maybe there's a few people, but very few people say, uh, you know what, I exercise enough or I feel good about the food choices I'm making. So there's, there's something in here for everybody, but I want to start out, you know, as I read the book, you talk about these two concepts. One is called a habiter and the other is an unhabiter. So I think it's going to be important to lay out what those are for the rest of our conversation. So why don't you unpack those for us, those two concepts? Um, so those are two categories that I created to give us a fun, um, you know, categorizations where people can critically think about who they are as individuals and the types of strategies, especially that haven't worked in the past, um, so that they can put a, a, a better foot going forward and find strategies that will work. So habiters, and I look to my husband as the prime example of a habiter, are people who are super innately self-disciplined, very organized, never leave dirty dishes in the sink, um, and really do pretty much everything they set out to do um, on a daily basis. There's not a lot of unexpected disruptions. And if there are disruptions, they have what it takes to make it work, to, to get their stuff done. I am a classic unhabiter. I, let me start by saying I'm very comfortable, although I wish I weren't, leaving dirty dishes in the sink. Um, there's a lot of unanticipated in my life. I have to pivot all the time. You know, I'm primarily in charge of making the, the logistics of our son's life. And that means there's a lot of other things on my plate and our dog's logistics. I don't have as much discipline as my husband does. So 
in general, um, a habiter is someone who might be more successful uh, creating automated, unconscious, non-conscious exercise or healthy eating habits, whereas an unhabiter, someone like me, would be less successful because our personalities and life contexts don't um, really meet the criterion for successful habit formation. FOMO. To the bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. So how do you know if you're a habiter or you're an unhabiter? Because everybody, I mean, we, nobody's perfect. You know, I, I, I think I'm a habiter, but yet, you know, if you look at my sink right now, you probably find a couple of dishes. So how do you know which side of that spectrum you're on? Well, in general, there are personality, uh, you know, personality types. And, you know, my husband would have absolutely no difficulty affirming that he's a habiter. He wouldn't say that everything in his life is exactly the way he wants it, but he knows how he his days go, right? So mm-hmm. I think for individuals, um, and some people do say, in this one area, I never have dishes in the sink, but for the life of me, I can't stick with exercise or healthy eating. So it's, I think it's important, and, and I do have questions in the book. I don't remember if it's page six or page nine, but I do have questions and I ask people, check you know, did you check most of these? And the people who check most of them are habiters and the people who don't are unhabiters, but it's not that black and white. Again, it was a category It was a category to help people think critically because if people don't tend to be habiters, yet they're trying to stick with, or they're trying to adopt lifestyle changes in ways that assume that they're super disciplined and their lives pretty much go according to plan. Um, then they're setting themselves up to fail. So that's why it's important for people to think about. And again, my topic is not the whole life context. It's really about healthy eating and exercise because while they're very different behaviors, they are united in our culture as primarily being associated with losing weight and health. And so we often think of them as going hand in hand. And that's why the book is just about those two behaviors. Why is it so hard? Because so many people do make a decision. They, you know, they go to the high school reunion or they're going to get married or they're, they wake up and they get on the scale and they say, I need to make a change. And then nothing changes. They, they, they try, but you know, they sign up for the gym and they're not going in a month. Like, what is it about these two specific areas that makes it so difficult for certain people to stick with what they actually want to achieve? Um, 
Well, that is the question of the day. And the, there's the, the big reason is because people usually initiate a healthy eating or exercise project in what I call a motivation bubble. We're inspired by that magazine cover. It's New Year's resolutions. We know that wedding is coming up in a few months. And so we very deeply commit to something and we, you know, start, we join Peloton or we join the gym or we, you know, create a new eating plan based on the latest thing we saw written about in social media. And in that moment when we do that and in the first couple of days and weeks, we are inspired and we are committed, but this bubble is overinflated and it's in a completely different orbit with the rest of our lives. And as soon as the rest of our lives bump up against the bubble, well, guess what happens? It bursts. And so basically we have initiated something that in an ideal world would be a sustainable change, but we've initiated it as if it's our everything, but that cannot be sustained in the real world of our daily lives. Again, unless you're probably a habiter. So that's what happens. And and then we haven't initiated it in a way that, that we can um, do day in and day out with the other things that happen day in and day out of our days. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. It's sort of, I mean, I, I'm going to bring us back to FOMO a little bit because, you know, when we see things that look really good, we want them, but yes. oftentimes we haven't thought about, you know, we see the surface. Oh, that looks like a nice place to visit or, or that looks like a nice place to live, or that looks like a great job, but we don't spend time thinking about two important elements. Number one is what does it take to get there? What do you have to do? And number two is, is it really what it looks like on the surface? So yes, being uh, being in good shape and eating healthy, of course, those are great things. But it's not like every day you wake up and you get a, a you know a, a you know a, a gold star from the universe. It's just part of your life. And the same way, you have to sort of set up a series of habits in order to maintain those things. And so, yeah, you get that sort of dopamine hit when you see the stimulus. But then to actually change your world in a way that you can achieve that. That's really hard. So it makes a ton of sense in the context of the kinds of things we talk on the show. So let's get into the book and the kinds of things that you recommend, because I, I think, you know, I, I enjoyed reading it because this is a very um, practical look at how to re-engage the way you think about diet and exercise. So tell us about the mindset of the joy choice and how that addresses the challenges that we've just been talking about. Sure. Um, well, you know, one of the biggest reasons why people don't stick with their healthy um, intentions and goals is, the, you know, the motivation bubble. But the other reason is that when we come to uh, choice points or challenges with our planned eating and exercise, we, we can't do it. There's two options. Well, there's one options. It's all or nothing. And we already know the all isn't an option. So the nothing is really the only alternative. We've been um, socialized, educated, even indoctrinated in our culture to have a dogma that in, in reinforces day in and day out that we have to do it right, right, with quotation marks and, quotation marks and a capital R, or it's not worth doing. And so the joy choice by definition 
is the antidote to all or nothing thinking because it's the perfect, imperfect option that lets us do something instead of nothing, um, keeping us in sync with ourselves and the things we care most about. Let me say that again. The joy choice is the perfect, imperfect option. FOMO. FOMO. Let's let's sketch out an example. Like, give me uh, a story about somebody who puts the joy choice into practice. Oh, that's okay. Great. Thank you for asking that. So, I'll tell you a story about a client who was starting to exercise, and she had uh, a, a pool put in—not a fancy built-in pool, just like an above-the-ground pool to water walk in. And she, um, her in-laws were visiting, and she just started this plan with me. Um, and so she came home, got in her suit, got her earbuds. She was going to, you know, do a little booging in the pool while she walked around it for 30 minutes. That was going to be the beginning of her new exercise plan. And so what happened was as soon as she got in the pool, she heard her son, her son saw her. That's like his happy place now. And he's screaming, howling that she's in the pool without him. So she gets to this this is the choice point. Oh no, my son needs me. Oh no, I've been gone at work all day. Oh no, I have this exercise plan that I really want to do. I want to walk in the pool with my music. So the joy choice, what she had to do um, was she had to pause and kind of recognize this is where this is where it was. It's a joy choice. She opened up her options so she could think, okay, what else, what else could I do here? Well, we could walk after dinner. Um, with my in-laws who are visiting, uh, I could skip the workout today. Um, I could uh, do part of the workout. I could do part of the workout with my son. And what she decided to do, that's part of the process. The joy choice part of the process is to realize there's alternatives. It's not all or nothing. It's not leave my son howling at the window or and do my workout or skip the workout. It's that there's actually options, but we haven't been taught to think in this fl flexible and creative way. And so what she did was she, she chose to do part of her workout alone. And then while she was doing it, her in-laws got her son into a bathing suit and brought him down. And so she played with him in the water. And so she met two needs in perfectly imperfect ways. So that's, that's an example with exercise. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. So I, I, what I, okay. So just to recap everybody. So, you know, you have this plan to do this thing. The universe intervenes in this case, a screaming child. You stop. It's like, you get, you're like when you cross the street, you're like, stop, look, listen, you yes. then think, what is the alternative that allows me to achieve more than one objective and still do what I want to do? Maybe it's not the exact plan I had, but this is what I'm going to do. Let me give you, okay, so I get it. Let me give you one of my joy choices because now okay. that you say that, this is, okay, this is one of the things I do about food. And you tell me if I'm joy choicing or I'm just a strange, strange weirdo. So okay. I get on a I get on the plane. I just was coming back from my vacation. Um and, you know, I actually like plain food. I know it's terrible for you. But I like it. I like all of it. What I do is, but I recognize that it's like high in sodium and high in fat and bad for you. And there's that tasty looking dessert that probably isn't even that good, but it's like chocolate mousse and all. So, you know, I have every time, and this is something I've been doing since I started working, you know, when I started my career, I get the meal. I have, you know, 
40 to 50% of it. I allow myself a few bites of the dessert and then I just put salt and pepper all over the rest of it so I can't be tempted to eat it. So I get to enjoy the meal, but I don't go overboard and eat too much of this unhealthy food. Is that a joy choice? Ding, 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 ding. Yes. I get it. Okay, okay. great example of a joy choice because here's here's the deal if we're on a plane which is a special you know context if we're at a party if we're out at a, a work lunch where there's delicious looking things that are not on your plan that you may know you don't really want to eat but you want you desire them so if we always um don't let us ourselves have what we want we develop um a, a reactance <laughs> we rebel against the, the, the plan or the rules. And so what we need to do, and that's one of the reasons why the joy choice is so important. It teaches us to be flexible and have flexible restraint. And the research suggests that being flexible when we come to these food choice points and being flexible and changing up our exercise, even if it's not exactly what we planned, that that is actually, that that is a better strategy for predicting behavior than being rigid when we come to it. I mean, we already know from decades of past experiences, again, doesn't always work for everyone. So some people are successful with rigidity, but most people are not. So what we want to do is not negate that rigidity doesn't work. It, it, it will work for some, but you know, you asked me the question, how do people know if they're habiters or unhabiters in the same vein, people need to ask themselves, have I been rigid in the past? And has that strategy kept me going long term for eat for healthy eating and exercise? And if the answer is no, then I mean they that's what the book is about. It's about teaching people to succeed with a more flexible belief system. I really like that. And you know, the thing is, by the way, if anybody is thinking how terrible it is that I ruined the food, it was just gonna go in the trash. So, you know, it's not like I throughout perfectly good food. But I will say that for me, it's, you know, it's like at a party. If I go to a party and I, I do have a little graze at the old table, but then I don't stand there the whole night near the table because then the temptation, you also have to like remove those temptations and triggers right. as you go That's along. Right. That's part of the, the choice. Now you talk about um, four decision disruptors that threaten these plans, temptation, rebellion, accommodation, and perfection. Can you just sort of explain how those fit into the system? Yes. So what we're talking about, and I know that, you know, what your podcast is about, is about decision-making, right? And so what's going to get in the way of us making an adaptive decision? And listen to the word. I'm trying to be really precise with the words I'm using. I'm not saying an uh, uh, exact same decision every time. I'm talking about an adaptive decision that keeps us on the path through um, perfect, imperfect choice making. So what's going to get in the way? Well, temptation, pure and simple, is one thing. If we're at that point of challenge, like you're at, you're at the on the plane and that meal is in front of you and you are tempted to eat the whole thing. That's an example of a decision disruptor where you just have a visceral desire. Again, it's not addiction. It's just a visceral desire to eat it. Well, that is something that could distract you from making an optimal decision at that point. Um, I'm not going to go too much into it, but suffice it to say that there's you know new theories just about eating and just about exercising that have to do with our brains that can help us empower us at these moments of choice with addressing the temptation. That's that's temptation. Rebellion is when you want to just 
say screw you to the diet you're on or the exercise you're about to do. And that is an innate human motivation when we feel controlled to do something that we actually don't want to do when we're forcing ourselves to do something or not letting ourselves do something. And, and think about how in your head you're rebelling instead of thinking about an adaptive option that could be the alternative to doing nothing. So that's rebellion. Accommodation is a little different, but it's very um, uh, common. And it's when people just subsume their own um, eating and exercise needs below the needs of others. Not sometimes, but every time. So if every time you're at a party and you were following a plan that you really wanted to follow and that helped you feel better and have more energy, but every time someone offered you a piece of cake, even though you didn't want it, you said yes just to make them feel good. That's a great uh, example of accommodation. And then finally, perfection. This is all or nothing thinking in a nutshell. This is when we believe it's got to be, there's only one right way to do something. And if you can't do it that way, you may as well throw the towel in. And so think about how the inner narrative in our brain takes over again, instead of going toward the joy choice and toward um, using the executive functioning system that our brain is set up for. Oh, so much good decision-making stuff here in the Temptation, Rebellion, Accommodation, and Perfection. So the book is The Joy Choice. You can find out more at Michelle's website, which is michelleseger.com. That is S-E-G-A-R, where you can also take a quiz about decision traps, and you can find Michelle on Instagram at Michelle Seeger. Michelle Seeger, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMO Sapiens.com. FOMO.